Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, sponsored by ACR America's Card Room, where we have a brand new website for you guys. ACR is better than ever. We've got mystery bounty tournaments, which are obviously all the rage, and you guys know how much in love with that format I am. Well, you can play a mystery bounty every single day on America's Card Room. We've also revamped the entire tournament lobby. Now you can get all the information you want, exactly the information you want, exactly when you want it. My name is Clayton Fletcher. I'm your host. I'm in fabulous Las Vegas, and I'm not alone. I don't have a guest today. I have two Two guests for you. One of them is a return guest, uh, one of your favorites, one of my favorites, the assassinato himself, Alex Fitzgerald. Alex, how you doing, bud? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And we are in the most classic Las Vegas. We are in a suite at the Tropicana. Now, if you've never been to the Tropicana in Vegas, it is smooth. I mean, it, it, you feel like you know, Sammy and Dino are going to walk out from behind the corner. Uh, we also have another guest on the podcast, a good friend of mine. Um, he does on-camera interviews for Poker Org and Bally's Big Bet Poker. Did I get it right, Craig? Yeah, you did. Craig Tapscott is with us. Hey, Craig. Hey, how you doing, Clayton? So if it sounds like there's an echo in here, it's because we're it in this is. huge suite. This place has what? Like a 40-foot ceiling. It's unbelievable. <laughs> what do you think has happened on this couch before? Dean Martin's <laughs> drinking. Drinking for yeah. sure. <laughs> Let There's a bar here. right here. Yeah, yeah. The place has a bar. This is phenomenal. The only thing missing, you don't have a butler. Can you talk to them? No, okay, women you are a, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a sausage fest here. So, Alex, <laughs> you and I busted the uh, tournaments that we were playing. I was in, we were recording this a week ago. So, this was recorded last Friday as you're listening to it. Um, I busted out of the satellite that they did for the WPT championship. I had trips. And my opponent had me out kicked, which is always fun. <laughs> and so that's how things are going for me. How are things going for you? Oh, just a lot of the same old. I've been playing a lot of 10-handed because that's what they're doing with the series. Mm. And the thing about 10-handed poker is there's not a whole lot of bluffing because usually someone has a hand. And <laughs> if someone has a hand and that hand happens to be better than your hand, you're in quite the pickle. And I've found myself in that situation repeatedly <laughs> <laughs> over the last few events. Uh, had kings to aces, had tens to queens, ace, queen to kings, all in close quarters combat situations. So hasn't been going so hot, but I'm really happy to be here. I really just enjoy live poker these days. It's a good time. I mean, I know you were playing some things with the Golden Nugget. Now, by the time they hear this in a week, maybe you will have earned a bracelet. Who knows? Oh, God willing. Yeah, God willing. Yeah, hopefully we'll get out there and get something going. You know, something about live poker is it seems to get easier as you get into your 30s. Like when I was 20s, I was when I was in my 20s, I was jumping out of my skin in these events because trying to get any 24 year old to just sit still for hours at a time really is impossible and in tournament poker you have so many other pressures but yeah it just seems a lot easier as you get into your 30s and yeah i've been enjoying that i agree with you i think that you know especially if when when we were in our 20s like yeah the the, the players were online players oh, and yeah. so maybe they'd never been in a casino before they're used to playing 18 20 40 tables at a time yeah, yeah. and then they have to play just one table where you only get two cards and oh, that's it God, and then yeah. you have to wait two minutes for another two <laughs> cards are you kidding me so yeah i think that there's something to be said for just you know having the the age and the experience and the maturity to be able to say well if it's not a spot I'm not going to take it. It sounds like you haven't really been bluffing 10-handed. No, I haven't run a bluff in the last few events because there really hasn't been a situation for it. And that is not something I would have done when I was younger. I would have felt like I'm not doing enough here. Like, what am I actually doing here if I'm just sitting here for two hours and playing two hands and I'd start forcing things? And that's how you can't realize opportunities late in the tournament if you're no longer there because you just decided to run a triple barrel versus somebody who isn't going to be folding. So you do have to not try to create the moment, let the moment come to you, as it were. I like that. Let the moment come to you. Well, we let a moment come to us tonight when uh, we actually 
plan to do a podcast tonight and uh, we both happened to bust and then I texted you it was like yo assassinato what's good and you're like oh we're having some salad man <laughs> so I met up with you and Craig and we ended up at the uh, pinball hall of fame Craig that was your first time there what was your first impression time. I loved it it felt like I was back at the bowling alley when I was 12 <laughs> so it was like except for the old guy running around telling us not to cuss yeah apparently Craig <laughs> Craig was breaking all the rules you know uh-huh. he's like hey we got kids around here cut that out we got families <laughs> <laughs> the funniest thing is we did cuss in that venue, but we didn't at that moment. So I don't even know what he was talking about. But we had yeah, to move somewhere else to cuss. Right? Yeah. yeah, that was uh, that was funny. There were no families within forty feet yeah. at that point. But yeah, I guess under our breath, maybe somebody could have heard something. Yeah, well, he had some good ears then, especially with the sound of all those pinball machines yeah. on a Friday night. It was a good time though. I mean, uh, you know, they got the old school pinball. You've got the the brand new pinball machines. You know, you just you get a bunch of quarters. I think I've discovered a great way to kind of fend off the the tilt that can sometimes come with the variance of tournament poker. Like I feel very relaxed. Like at, at one point tonight, I was a little frustrated with the way my satellite ended, and now I'm just like I'm chill. You know, absolutely. That used to be what I would do uh, when I. Well, when I first got sober, to be perfectly honest, I needed to find things to do in Vegas that yeah. didn't involve partying. And somebody said, you got to go to this Pinball Hall of Fame. And back then, it was in just this really funny, huge warehouse. And it was uh, there was just a tarp on the front of the place that said Pinball Hall of Fame. And when I showed up to it, I went, what is this place? But it's got every pinball cabinet you've ever heard of. And it's, yeah, it's impossible to be thinking about your day at work when you're playing pinball because you have to be so present in the moment actually with the game. And did you feel that today where you could just kind of let go? A hundred percent. I mean, to me, pinball is all about reacting. And so you can't be in your head about anything else because you have to be ready. Yeah. Yeah. And paying attention to what you're doing. And tonight was rock and roll night, though. Yeah, yeah. we played uh, Metallica. We, we played Kiss, Kiss yeah, Rush. Yeah. And, <laughs> Foo, and Foo Fighters. Yeah, Foo yeah. Fighters. <laughs> pinball. Yeah, that's like the Foo Fighters machine. That was the best one. Yeah. yeah we were uh, totally rocking out while we were playing pinball. It was, yeah. it was a lot of fun. Now, Craig, we're in this cavernous, gorgeous mansion of a hotel suite from the 1940s or something. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what is what is going on here? How did you end up in this position well, anyway? I'm lucky enough to be working with Poker.org, a great organization. Check out Poker.org, Poker.org. And I'm interviewing here to watch and interview players who are playing the Big Bet Poker. And so who are some of those players? The players are Doug Polk, Patrick Antonius, everyone knows, Rob Young, uh, we have, that's a few of them. I'm trying to think of a couple other ones came. Well, Jungle Man was in the and, building last and, night. And Jungle Man, Andrew Robles there. Yeah. Uh, of obviously the very fun, crazy Eric Person. Yeah, I love Eric Person. To me, he is so great for television. I, nice you know, we need heroes and villains in poker. And, you know, Eric Person, you say he's the nicest guy, but the Eric Person we see on television oh, yeah. is not the nicest guy. He beats you out of a pot and he gives you two middle fingers. You know? <laughs> what would the guy at the pinball museum think about that? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Be kicked out yeah. For sure. yeah, but Eric would just buy the museum and we'd yeah. be okay. <laughs> yeah, so that's cool. I mean, it's a, it's a good spot for you. So you're doing on-camera interviews for Poker.org. And I wrote an article about the what's going on with Big Bet Poker and what they've got planned. Their plan basically is to create a very exciting stream, which never been one in Las Vegas. So, and it's also produced by two famous producers, Houston Curtis and Rick Marr. Now, Houston's very famous. He's written books. He's produced for CBS, GSN. He started in MTV with Backstreet uh, Wrestling in the Backyard Wrestling. Oh, backyard Wrestling. But he was also <laughs> one of the creators and founders of Molly's Game with Tobey Maguire. So that was uh, Houston's story, and he wrote it by his book. And he's a really, I was really, I hadn't met him before, knew him before a few weeks ago. And he just captivated me with old Vegas stories. He, and we, we kind of bonded talking about theater. He did theater and slept in the theater and helped his girlfriend do a small production in Santa Monica Boulevard in L.A. But he's one of the top producers in the business, and they just take care of everyone here. They're just spoiling the players, taking care of them. So it's a lot of fun to be working with Houston and Rick. Yeah, well, they're spoiling you for sure. I mean, this place <laughs> is amazing. I mean, we've got a full kitchen. We've got a, we I mean, this is nice. Bar, though, we, we, have, we haven't opened that bar. Yeah, so, you know, Craig's not the kind of guy to take advantage of. If he gets an expense account, there's going to be a little something <laughs> left over <laughs> at, at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not getting the room service, surf and turf, you know, uh, Sammy Davis Jr. style here in old school <laughs> Vegas. He could have tap danced in here for all of <laughs> yeah, I bet he did on this old wooden floor. Oh, just, I'm just 
telling people to tune into Stadium or YouTube for Big Bet Poker Live. Yeah, so it's Bally's Big Bet Poker Live every Friday night? No, every Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Your debut is this Wednesday. Friday's going to be the highest stakes you'll see. Last night, Patrick had a rough night. Patrick's one of the best players in the world. He lost 200000 as did Patrick Antonius, of course. Nick Arabal from uh, Fame from Hustle Casino Live. He lost about 200000 yeah. The two amateurs just kicked the pro's ass. Ben Lamb lost. Eric, you know, semi-pro, pro, and a casino owner, he won, and the two other amateurs won. Yeah, I'm not sure if Nick Airball qualifies as a pro or not, but I know what you're trying to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, that's good. Reg, yeah, a high-stakes reg. reg, that's fair. I, I think it's really exciting that they're finally doing, like, a, a Hollywood-style uh, live stream game, and the, the set is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, it's amazing. So, yeah, you thanks. You got to meet Houston, too. You got yeah, to yeah. I mean, he regaled me with a story of how one day he won $200,000, lost back 193000 <laughs> of it, and then won it all back again, which, uh, yeah, as Alex said at the time, a lot of times stories that start that way don't end so well. <laughs> yeah, usually that's not the end. <laughs> but, yeah, he does seem like... Uh, you know, a, a guy that really knows his way around Vegas. Sure. And, uh, yeah, it's very exciting that, that you're working with him. So really cool. Well, I know the listeners, they, they want to hear what's going on in Vegas. They're excited for Bally's Big Bet Poker. They're also excited that we have one of the best poker players who ever lived. And, and of course, author. Do you have any more books coming out? You've written how many books now? 74, 75? Uh, I've written three books. I've contributed to two others. Yeah. Nice. Nice. And you're back on social media. How did that happen? Talking to people, saying we got to get back on it. And, you know, I'm really happy to be back. Yeah, I see you're putting out content, you know, left and right. All kinds of content on your Instagram, which is... Uh, Poker Head Rush, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's Poker Head Rush on everything, at Poker Head Rush on Instagram, on Twitter. You can go to PokerHeadRush.com. You can sign up for free training material every single day getting delivered to your inbox. You get three free training products just for signing up. You can unsubscribe at any time. Yeah, check that out. You'll love it. So you can teach people you know, how to you know have good strategy and how to play poker. And we're going to talk strategy in just a minute. But what you can teach them how to do is, like, be comfortable at a 10-handed oh, table. Yeah. Oh, no, nobody's comfortable at a 10-handed table. Who loves playing 10-handed, man? It's impossible. It's number 10 this summer, you know. it's yeah. A lot of the tournaments have been 10-handed because we're breaking every single record in World Series of Poker history as far as numbers and how many people want to play all these events. Right. But it's also 10 a.m. If you make day two one of these tournaments, you go till midnight or 1.30 in the morning, and you still have to come back for a 10 a.m. restart, and a lot of players are complaining about that. Oh, yeah. One of my friends was up till 2, two it past 2 in one of these events, and they said, yeah, you got to be here at 10 a.m. So you think about it. You're jacked up from playing. You go home. You probably can't go to bed till 3, 3.30. Now you got to wake up and get your cup of coffee, brush your teeth. So you wake up at 9. Like You're going to be running on adrenaline from that point on. You better have study before the exam because this is going to be tough yeah i mean to me i know i know for me i can't really function if i don't get enough sleep and last year my strategy was just sleep as much as i want to sleep and then show up buy my ticket that day and they would give me a full stack when i sat down not so this year it's a new rule they've gone back to the old way we remember when when tournament poker began really gaining popularity in the early part of the you know 2000s if you didn't show up at the beginning of the tournament, they would blind you off. They would blind everybody off. If you've bought in late, you wouldn't get a full stack. And that's how it is this year. Yeah, and that adds another element because, like you said, sleep. Listen, the thing about tournament poker is you're never going to be playing 100%. You're always <laughs> going to be fatigued in some yeah. fashion. There's going to be somebody at the table talking smack. There's going to be some something going on at the table that's going to be distracting you you're not going to get enough sleep so once the tournament gets in and you're fatigued on a day three or four how you slept before day one is going to compound it's going to add up because you're already dealing with a lot more as you go further into the tournament so if you don't sleep that well on i think it's a really good strategy what you're discussing sleeping a lot before the first day because you're probably not going to be getting full days of sleep as you go into day two as you go into day three so you want to get that one day edge and yeah that's just not a factor anymore you're playing sometimes you got to rush to the tournament right from the start and you're going to be tired yeah and you know when day two starts at 10 o'clock 
then you, you know, what are you really supposed to do? Because you can't be late for day two. Oh, hell no. Right? You can buy in a little late for day one and maybe not hurt you that badly. But, you know, day two, every hand counts. So, you know, God forbid, day three, day four, day five, main oh, event, man. day six. Yeah. You've got to be there on time. So I think that is something that they're going to want. The players are going to ask for next year for them to revamp this and, you know, not make us lose so much sleep. Now, Craig, you have a background in diet, nutrition, wellness, and all that. So what advice can you give people? People, uh, how to come down at the end of a, of a long, exciting day of poker. Say I bag the chip lead right. in like the millionaire maker or something. I'm real keyed up. I'm real excited. I can't wait to go back the next day. But I, now I've got to try to get at least, I don't know, six hours sleep if I'm lucky. What advice would you give? Well, part of it is not to drink. A lot of people drink coffee after four o'clock or trying to do, have some energy. To not do those energy drinks, these monster drinks and a lot of candy and sugar and things like that because it's going to wear your adrenals out. You just need to rest and go home and just stretch do something that makes you very comfortable get some comfortable clothing maybe take a hot bath or a steam if you can something like that and don't eat a lot of food either because that'll keep you up because it makes you digest of course Craig has a private sauna in his suite here <laughs> we don't use upstairs we won't be using it we don't all get that so I asked him this morning what he was doing because he had a routine about what he was doing uh, getting up in the morning to prepare for the tournament remember oh absolutely so one thing that's really going to hurt your energy when it comes to these tournaments is just being balled up and sitting for such a long period of time. And because when you're 10 handed, obviously it's real uncomfortable sitting and just the act of playing poker is uncomfortable on your spine, on your back, on your body to begin with. Cause you're always craning your neck. You're always trying to watch the other players. You're always turning your neck. You're always a little hunched over. You're always a little tense. So your job before you get there is to get rid of as much of that as possible. If you don't like working out a time before playing, stretching is really good. And if you can add just a little weight to your stretches, that can make the stretch a lot deeper. So some I do when I travel to these tournaments is I take my resistance bands with me and I'll do a deadlift with a resistance band just to stretch out my back a little bit. And that makes the hours pass a lot easier because you're not just this ball of tension four and a half hours in. You can go six hours. You can go eight hours before you start feeling like, wow, I've been sitting a really long time. And this is what we talk about, by the way, guys. It's Friday night in fabulous Las Vegas, 4th of July weekend. The three of us had soup and salad. We played pinball. <laughs> we haven't had one glass of wine. No, and then we just talk no. about resistance bands and rate training. Yeah, one, We're one, those guys, aren't yeah. we? One thing I would add, though, is don't, also don't get on your phone or your computer because the blue oh, screen yes. keeps you awake. Oh, right. So try to, to get off your computer and phone at least two hours before you go to bed. That's good. Because, yeah, in years past, you know, day two would be 12 o'clock or even 1 o'clock oh, for yeah. tournaments that for started sure. at 11 or whatever. But now there's the day one is at 10 a.m. and day two is at 10 a.m. and it's been uh you know humble brag here but as i've made so many day twos <laughs> uh, it's been I, I have four caches already That's so yeah, yeah it's been fun but it has been a struggle as far as you know as somebody who does need a certain amount of sleep you know just being able to come down and you know it's similar to my other career you know you get off stage you can't just go pumped, right to right? bed yeah you're yeah. you're all keyed up you're you're pumped up it's very hard to to calm down so i'm going to try some of the uh advice you guys gave but i wouldn't be drinking after you play either. yeah no yeah i don't I, a lot of times the last level of the day and i'm sure you guys have both seen this the last level of the day people call it the beer level like right. oh yeah let's have a, a heineken or a corona or whatever before you know the end of the day because they're excited they're going to make day two they feel it you know they got a lot of chips I think that's a really bad idea because even a small amount of alcohol can really impact your ability to get a good night's rest. And also eating light before you go to bed. Because some people finish late, like you said, and go eat a big meal. That's not going to help you go to sleep either. <laughs> big bowl I, of pasta. <laughs> I used to make that mistake again and again and again. Mm. I would just eat all the carbs. I would eat Ice all cream. the crap. Yeah, and then, you know, you wake up the next day and you feel like, was I drinking last night? Yeah. I feel hungover. And then you try to play tournament poker like that. It's impossible. Yeah, you're sluggish. You're, you're, you're overcome with, with all the, all the you know, extra calories. Well, we, I learned a lot about Clayton, you know, for the first time. We've known each other for a number of years sitting down with them talking about the positive self-talk too mm -hmm. you should talk about that and the way you wake up in the morning and, and it was very important in every aspect of your life and it changes the way you approach everything so yeah. you know what i mean is your intentions when you start the day when you start the tournament you need to start fresh and like you're starting uh, from start, yeah you know? so years ago we all remember they were kind of making fun of negranu for doing this like today my intention is to you know yeah. all this kind of stuff but you know 
he's pretty easy to pick on sometimes, but he was definitely on to something there. I firmly believe in what you were talking about at dinner tonight, Craig, which is you don't let your mind control you, you control your mind. Mm -hmm. And to me, the growth mindset is about just reaffirming positive things that I want to be true about myself and saying, you know, I, I am getting better at going to bed on time and getting a good night's sleep and not letting myself get distracted by pasta or my phone or whatever's going on on Instagram or Twitter spaces or whatever's happening these days and just, you know, focus on, you know, keep your eyes on the prize. I mean, we're playing for literally millions and millions of dollars. I think we owe it to ourselves to, to give ourselves the best chance to win. Absolutely. And, you know, Negreanu has his way of doing it, and everybody likes to give him a hard time. I'll tell you what, if I could have Negreanu's results, yeah. you, you oh, can yeah. give me a hard time as well, okay? He, he, you need to recognize he got to where he is doing a lot of that. And second of all, you can, have, you can say it a different way. Something I tell myself all the time to psych myself up when I'm deep in tournaments is, Listen, man, you get deep in tournaments all the time. If this one doesn't work out, you're going to be deep in another tournament. And after that, you're going to be deep in another tournament. And after that, you're going to be deep in another tournament because you just keep coming back and back and back like the Terminator. You're always at these guys' throats. There's nothing they can do. You're always going to be there. You're always going to be on their left. You're always going to be a pain in the ass, and that's what it's going to be today. And you can talk to yourself like that, and as you can hear, that's not – that's just like a coach trying to – Raz you up, you know what I mean? And it's well, like, it kind of worked on me. I was getting excited. I was getting, I want to go play some poker now after that pep talk. Yeah, I make lots of final tables. Exactly. Let's go. Well, and you know, the thing about it is with poker, you can't have your coach there. Like the coach can't come talk to you during the hand. A coach can talk to you between hands, but obviously it would be very expensive to have a coach just watching right. you play poker. So it's on you. It is your responsibility to hype yourself up, right? There's a reason. The military spends so much money on their commanders to get people hyped up. It is a security risk if these people are not hyped up and are not doing their job. There's a reason that the military spends so much money on R&R. If their troops are not well rested, it is a security risk. You need to be that representation for yourself. You need to be that leadership for yourself. It is your responsibility to hype yourself up. It is your responsibility to rest yourself. And you don't need to feel like that's cheesy. You don't need to feel like that's trying too hard. That is quite literally your responsibility when you come out here. So, yeah, have your affirmations, have your way you want to do it, and stick to it. It will lead to results. Yeah, it, it does lead to results. And if nothing else, it leads to you not second-guessing yourself in the moment. So much of tournament poker, at least <laughs> with my playing style, is you got to be able to pull the trigger. If you think it's a spot, you, you think it's the correct play, you like some of us know in our mind it's like well this is probably a spot where if i went all in he's usually going to fold but how many of us have struggled with actually being able to do that even though like theoretically you might know that it's time to do it but many of us kind of get cold feet at the altar there and they, they're afraid to say i do so what i think about is when i'm when my brain is right and when i'm feeling positive and i'm confident about my ability to make good poker decisions my job is to make good poker decisions. And then I disconnect myself from the outcomes of those decisions in the short term. Obviously, in the long term, the outcomes are all that matters, right? But in the short term, it's about making the right play at the right time today, right now, and knowing that I have the confidence in my game to do what I'm supposed to be doing when I'm supposed to be doing it. Absolutely. And you can, another thing you need, everybody needs to realize myself as well is you can do what is technically the correct play and still get rocked oh, in yeah. this game that oh, yeah. it, it's like watching baseball if you've ever watched a pitcher throw 102 mile per hour a uh, 102 mile per hour fastball into the corner of the strike zone and then just get it sent 500 feet in the opposite direction it's not a bad pitch it was in the corner of the strike zone the batter was just the better player that day. And that happens a lot in tournament poker where you go, okay, this guy has one pair. It's a very weak pair. I can see he's very uncomfortable. Okay, I'm going to shove. Now, if he sits there and he takes two minutes and he still calls, okay, he was the better man that day, but you still had a pretty good read in that moment and you had to go with it. And if you still have 10,000 chips left, if you still have 10 big blinds left, that is your new job is to play that 10 big blinds. You can't be playing. You can't be thinking in the past because there's nothing you can do about that hand. Now, the most important hand is always your next hand. And another part of giving yourself the best chance in a tournament is not just looking for the opportunities to bluff. Those are really fun. 
opportunities, those are really sexy, so we all like those. But also looking for the opportunities to fold. When you go to any poker room in the world, you'll see people calling too much and seeing too many flops. What is very rare is to find someone who actually is looking for opportunities to fold. If the correct answer, if someone asks you how many thin folds are you going to have to make to win this tournament, the correct answer is probably not zero. There will come a time at some point in this tournament you are going to have to make a thin fold. If you never make a thin fold in any tournament you're playing, you know that is something you're not looking for, and you need to be aware that that is an element that you need to bring into your game as well. Yeah, gosh, I could just listen to you talk about poker all day. He's got one of the greatest minds in poker and just how articulate um, Alex Fitzgerald is in just being able to explain things and help us all see things in the way they should be seen. Well, um, I've written for Card Player magazine for 17 years. Very, you know, always proud to work with those guys. And he was always my go-to once, at least once a year, because I used to write uh, four columns an issue for like a number of years. And Alex was always sharp, articulate, so I chose him a lot. But I do have a question for him. So it's been how many years since you were here at the Vegas in playing in the WSOP? I did not play last year. Uh, the year before that, I was here for six or seven weeks, and oh, I played really? pretty much everything. But, yeah, a lot of stuff came up in my personal life last year, yeah. I was just curious, what's changed with the players or the energy and the game now you're sitting down playing? Has anything changed, shifted in the way they play? That's a really good uh, question. So in 2021, there was a lot of funny money going around, and it was pretty fun. But at the same time... <laughs> People, people, I don't know if it was just the tables I was at, but people were more contentious. And actually, it's been a lot more fun now. Like a lot of my tables have been, there's a different vibe. There's a different energy. There's a lot of people here. There's, a, there's huge fields. And it seems like people are just really happy to play poker. And just the limited experiences I've had in these tournaments. There's just, yeah, there's a lot of people out here looking to play some cards and it's been a lot of fun. Now, I've been here since the WSOP started and it's been that way. It, it feels like we're, we're all just happy to have the masks off. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, and we're just, point. you know, it, like, it feels like COVID is in the rear view mirror and, yeah. and everybody's just like excited to kind of have our our, our game that we love yes. back. That's the feeling I get. Now, not to say that no one's been contentious <laughs> at the table. I mean, we've had, I know we're going to talk about speech play here in a minute. Oh, yeah. um, you know, I've had some people say some pretty rude things to me this <laughs> summer. But, you know, I feel like when you when you say that you want to be on this guy's left and be a pain in the ass all day, that's to me, that's the job. That's what I would consider the job description of a tournament poker player. My job is to put my opponents to the most difficult decisions I possibly can. Anytime somebody's tanking for more than 30 seconds because of a bet that I just made, I'm happy. And that's at that point, I start thinking to myself, even if she makes the call here, even if she figures out what I'm doing, I'm still going to be happy with my play because... I've already done the job of putting my opponent to a difficult decision. What do you think about that as a mindset? I think that's a great mindset. And if you think about this logically, the vast majority of poker players do not beat the wreck. So <laughs> if you are playing in, an, in a fashion that they approve of, you can expect to not beat the rake as well. <laughs> that is what's going to happen. So they better complain about you being too tight. They better complain about you being too loose. They better complain about your bet sizes being different. There better be a difference of some sort because if you're doing what everybody else is doing, you can expect to get what everybody else is getting, which is not much. I love that, Alex. Yeah. And I say this all the time. I feel like when I'm doing comedy, my job is to find out what people want and give it to them. And in poker, my job is to figure out what they want and disappoint them. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a great way to play. find what they want and disappoint them. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I know we want to get into some strategy here. I know you had some some uh, thoughts on speech play. And so is this going to be your speech play or somebody else's? This is going to be my speech play. And this is it's actually a pretty simple hand, but it's something I want to bring up. So, yeah. Should I just get right into the hand? Yeah. But I kind of want to tell you uh, something that, that somebody said to me because I... You know, as a comedian, like one of the great joys in our lives is dealing with the hecklers, right? And so when somebody's talking trash to me at the poker table, I kind of, I tend to treat them as a heckler. And when you're getting heckled in a comedy club, what you want to do is 
make everybody laugh at the heckler's expense. Yeah. Right. So kind of turn it around on that person. And also in comedy, we try to send a message like, could you be quiet? Yeah. You know, yeah. stop talking. I'm trying to do my job here. Right. Now the second part doesn't apply in poker, but I had a player, he was you know, getting really irritated with me and uh, he, he was getting physical. He's like, I'm going to, yeah, after the game, we should go out in the parking lot and <laughs> kick your what? ass and all this kind of stuff, you know. And he was just he was saying all this, like, tough guy stuff to me, you know. And he, he was way bigger than I am, you know, big muscles, big beard, like, burly guy. And, he, like, he just didn't like something about me, you know. Yeah. I, I don't know what it was. I definitely rubbed this guy the wrong way. And he's like, you know, you're lucky there's cameras on here. Otherwise, I'd kick your ass. <laughs> And, and like you know, and now everybody's looking at me, and some of my opponents know who I am, and so they were kind of looking at me like, you know, what's Clayton going to do with this idiot, you know? And I just said, "You're good, bro. You're good. Happy Pride." <laughs> <laughs> the table burst into the kind of laughter we're having now, <laughs> and then uh, he turned red as a beet. And uh, didn't speak to me anymore. So mission oh, accomplished good. there. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing I've I, I've had work in that situation is to go. It's not that serious, man. Yeah. Like it's you're good. Just, you're good. That's what I'm saying. You're good. Yeah, Don't yeah. worry. It's, it's fine. Just, yeah. It's not that serious. Yeah. I like how you dialed it back. Or, or some I'll say is it's only poker, man. Like it's it's just it's, it's, just, it's just poker. Like in. Yeah, and I, I also I try not to antagonize people. I can't imagine you were antagonizing him though. And I fashion. think it was just the way I was playing. You know, he he liked to limp into a lot of pots, and he didn't like that I was you know being aggressive, especially when I was in position. You know, but I've I've read all of Alex's books. Yeah, I was he limped and I raised. You know, what we're trying to do, what Alex always preaches to all of his students, and he does coaching and you know mindset training, and he's just you know he's a mm-hmm. poker genius. He's taught me. When you're in position and you think you have the best hand, build the pot. And you don't have to follow the rules of 3x or 2.2x. Sometimes. Take that out. That's all right. Still recording. Or you know, 2.2x or whatever it is that people normally do. You can just make it 6x, mm-hmm. 7x, 8x, especially if you think he's going to call. And now you get to play a pot with a better hand against an inferior opponent in position, that's what you want. Yes, sir. And, you know, some I say when people start getting mad, what, something I'll do sometimes is show one really good hand and just go, I got it, man. And <laughs> the other thing I'll do is I came to gamble today, man. Can we gamble? Yeah. I thought we came here to gamble. And it's like, look, man, if you don't want to gamble, that's fine. But I don't know what you're doing at a casino yeah. if you don't want to gamble. That's I what, love that. Yeah. yeah. What are we here for? Yeah. We're in Vegas. What are we doing? And I like dialing it down because if, if something I don't like is when another guy is emotional, now I can't predict him. Right. Because if he's just kind of going about his game, limping in, seeing flops, going with the flow, a lot of people in this life get along or what is it? They go along to get along or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Once you got a guy pissed off, all bets are off. Now he might just try a river bluff because he doesn't like you. And if you, if he's not playing like his past behavior, you can't use his past behavior huh. to predict his future behavior. So I almost don't like it to get to that point where somebody's getting really mad. So I like to show one hand. That's kind of good for the rest of the table, too, so they don't think you're just raising, you know, because sometimes I am running without the ball, and I right. don't want them knowing that. So showing the occasional kings or something like that, just going like, I like playing big pots with these, you know what I mean? I like that. But dialing it down just a little bit, I find really helps keeps things in that predictable format. Yeah, I'm trying to remember exactly. I've played so much poker in these few weeks. I'm, I'm trying to remember even what event it was, but what about me was rubbing this guy the wrong way? I don't feel like I was talking trash or being obnoxious. <laughs> I'm not I'm not Eric Person at the table, you know? I'm not, like, giving him the finger and you things had, like you that. You sleeves, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 I was wearing I just sleeve shirt. I think I had a collar on even, you know? Yeah. I don't know if, what exactly it was, but, you know, sometimes I just... You know, I do, as, as all my listeners know, my natural style is what would in years past have been described as a hyper aggressive mm-hmm. playing style. You know, I'm much more likely to three bet than to call mm-hmm. and I'm much more likely to raise than to limp behind a limper. And I think that sometimes just, you know, maybe less experienced players or players that just want to see a lot of flops. It does kind of get under their skin 
a lot, which in a way is already good. But yeah, it's, I don't like when it gets to the point where like now I have to deal with this guy who wants to like kick my ass over a poker game. Yeah, exactly. No, just go. You know, this is Vegas, man. We like to play big pots in yeah, Vegas. That's how go. it is. It's big money games here. You can just have to be ready for it when it comes. Yeah. I really like that. It kind of you know just diffused the situation a little bit. How much of poker success, live poker success, obviously, do you think hinges on? our ability to kind of psychologically manage the environment. I think it's a lot because, so I mean, full disclosure, 99% of my volume is online and it's just because I can get more hands in online. But when I do play live, if you just, okay, you don't need to pay attention to every single thing. It's impossible to catch every check. It's impossible to catch every single hand in perfect detail no one is capable of perfect memory you'd probably be working for nasa if you had that kind of ability but if you just make yourself stay off your phone stay off your apps stay off texting and pay attention to the hands certain things will start jumping out at you which you might not catch online because you're playing multiple tables or just because you can't see a person's face or something like that And there's a lot of times you have what I call ties in strategy where you could justify this play or that play and a lot of it is dependent on your feel of the situation and your feel of the situation will be much more easy to trust if you've been paying attention to the table. So I, I think live poker is the purest form of poker because you can break so many of those ties whereas online there's many situations where I'll be indifferent as to what to do and then I'll kind of think about that within the context of the tournament and it becomes more of a game management style you don't really get to run without the ball you don't get to do some of these grandiose plays like there's some triple barrels i only do live because i saw when the guy called he didn't need to think about anything and then you you can read that on somebody's face when it's genuine thought in versus okay let's just get to the turn card and that right there can tell you tell you a lot because if somebody flopped a set and there's a draw out there, there's a lot to think about. Do I check raise to simultaneously protect my hand and to get value from my hand? Do I call here and slow play and let him fire the turn? There's a lot going on there. If the person just calls really quickly and they had nothing to think about, you can go, oh, that's one pair. And okay, I think he would have three bet a lot of the hands that would have made top pair pre-flop. So that's a second or third pair. I'm going to go for the double barrel. I'm going to go for the triple barrel, especially based on how they call on that turn. A lot of times when you're playing online, if you don't really have specific statistics, you can't run as many of these big plays, especially if you're game managing with a stack. So I really do. Yeah. Like what percentage? Like I think a solid uh, 10, 20 percent of the hands can severely be impacted by your feel at the table when you're playing live. And that is a huge difference than online. Yeah. And I guess as a result, even though you're on Twitter now and you're on Instagram again, you can't be looking at that stuff because you got it <laughs> not while you're playing poker because you're losing information. No. If your head's down, you're, you're missing the world around you, which is, you know, like you just said, 10 to 20 percent of the hands could be impacted. That's a lot. He's a very intense guy, right, Craig? And we saw it at the pinball uh, place yeah, yeah, too, yeah, for sure. <laughs> it was on. It was on like Donkey Kong. <laughs> the man has focus. He's got like that. I think a lot of great players but he's still have it. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, that's true. I think a lot of times great players have that hyper focus, like a turbo yeah. gear that they can kick in when they need to. And that's, you know, to me, that's like a, a great athlete, like somebody that can hit a baseball going 102 miles per hour. You've got to have so much focus to be able to do that. You know, we watch guys do that on the big screen. It's like they make it look easy. It's definitely not. Oh, is yeah. there something that you learned or had to practice to get such laser focus in a moment, like in a hand, or did you have to, uh, you know, it was a natural for you? It, I absolutely still struggle with it to this day. It is something you can get better at. And I think the way you can get better at it is you need to work time into your day to focus on something really severely. So something that really helps me focus is going to the gym because the great thing about going to the gym and lifting heavy is if you screw that up, you will know. You're you, going to be injured. <laughs> yeah, you will be injured. Yes, very well said. So if you're deadlifting heavy, for example, if you're squatting heavy, there is no 
hey, let me pay attention to my podcast in this moment. Even if you have something on in your headphones, you're not paying attention. Right. If you pay attention to yourself, you're not actually paying attention in that moment. You're tuning it out so you can focus. And instead of just half-ass listening to something on your headphones, I find it much better just to take your headphones out and just go, okay, for this hour, I'm really going to focus on doing the best I can. So wait, you're at the gym, no music, no no podcast in your ear, nothing? Nothing, absolutely nothing. Just focusing on the form. Because if you can do that for an hour, God, your poker sessions are a lot easier because then it starts feeling like a lot more stimuli. Now you got people talking. Now you got chips going in. You got a new hand every minute or two. Now you have, you can watch. Does that person check hard when they flop something they're not really into? Or does that person uh, check a little bit more softly when they have something they like? There's a lot more to think about. Now I can take notes between hands. Now there's a lot going on. Now you kind of put yourself in a sensory deprivation tank before you got there. So it feels like a lot more in comparison versus if you're watching TikTok for two and a half hours before you get to the poker table, the poker table is going to feel molasses slow at that point, And then your focus is going to be everywhere but the task at hand. Wow. Now, I, I do want to see you do the latest dance craze on TikTok, though. <laughs> I think that's, that's something we need to go. Right. Need to, Craig, can you help me make that happen? Do you have a good uh, setup so we can make it? No karaoke in this room. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Well, um, yeah, this is exciting. I know you have a hand for us. Um, before we get to it, I just want to make sure everybody's on the Tournament Poker Edge Discord. There's a link in the description of this podcast. All you have to do is click that. And you can become a member of our Discord. It doesn't cost you any money. You can talk strategy with other TPE members. You can find out what's going on. You can sweat all of my action. I've been updating everybody on the Discord, all the different day twos I've made, all the mystery bounty envelopes I have not gotten to open, <laughs> despite making day two of all of those tournaments. I never get the envelope, man. I don't know what's going on. Any, any adv- Craig, let me ask you any advice for helping me get an envelope in a mystery bounty? Last longer. Last longer. <laughs> I got like 93rd place out of 6,000 players. Yeah. I still didn't get an envelope. Why, why wasn't good enough it? then, was it? You didn't knock any buy outs, I was. I just didn't bust oh, anyone. Okay. Yeah. Like every one of those all in spots, I just, you know, I kept doubling people up. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, all right, so what is your hand from? Do you remember which tournament it was? So this was the $600 Deep Stacks, I believe. Okay, so that's a World Series of Poker bracelet event. Probably had. 3k players something like that roughly half a trillion people showed up for this tournament yes <laughs> and they all sat 10 handed for yeah, three days straight sat 10 yeah. in fact in fact this starts with a player uh in the 10 seat so nice. under the gun is the 10 seat getting into a wrestling match with the dealer because he's so close to the dealer <laughs> and dealing with that so under the gun seat 10 raises to 1.1k so my assumption is we were at uh 300 500 or whatever it is that sounds right yeah so I'm in middle position. I've been battling with this guy all day. He, he plays real well. And I call with queen jack of spades. I typically try to keep my cold calls down in middle position because when I look those up in databases, cold calls are just hard to make work when you have so many people who can squeeze on you, especially at a 10-handed table. It's so likely someone's going to have a big hand behind you. But queen jack of spades is, uh, you know, it's not the kind of hand you really want to throw away. Absolutely not. And yeah. it, it kind of hurts to get four bet too. So I, I think, you know, as Andrew Brokus always says, calling is not a compromise. Right. But I think in this spot, calling is just Correct. It's one of the rare times when you do want to make that call in middle position. Well, what's our stack like? Oh, that's a great question. Let me see if I can find it. Yeah, I'm so, assuming we have enough chips to really play around with this. Yeah, so we have, I, I don't have terrific notes at that point. I'd say like 20, 20 something thousand. So we have like 45 big blinds, maybe. Yeah, a little I think bit that's high. plenty. Yeah, so we're doing okay. So, yeah, I, I do find you can cold call with the suited broadways in most positions and still make a profit. So I go ahead and just cold call with it. The button calls too. Uh, the flop comes king, six, four, two spades. We have queen, okay. jack of spades. So we have flopped a flush draw on we queen. We just a bare flush draw. On king, six, deuce. No, we also have backdoor straight possibilities. Oh, you Don't forget. Point. Yeah, Don't we have. Forget. Yes, we have the backdoor straight draw. So uh, the initial C10, uh, re- real good player. Uh, he checks, and I bet 2,000 into the pot. The button folds, it comes back. Uh, to under the gun seat 10 he takes a se- second and he makes it 7,000 okay so we get check raised on this king high flop yeah. we've got the queen jack of spades so we have a queen high flush draw 
Um, I'm assuming he has us covered. So we have the effective he, stack, like 45 big blinds. Yeah, he has us covered. We have 20,000 and change, right? So we do have an effective jam if we believe he's goofing off. And that becomes a key question. Like, what is his range for check raising us? I mean, the nightmare scenario to me would be that he's got something like ace five of spades, right? Then we're really in bad shape. But otherwise, even if he's got three kings, we're not that bad off, right? Exactly. Yeah, we don't have too bad of a situation. Now, this is this is a spot where I call I call it a tie, where based. So if I had statistics when I'm playing online, it's pretty easy to know what to do here. If you see someone with a really high aggression frequency on the flop, that's someone who is always finding aggressive actions on the flop. That's someone who might think, oh, maybe this person was taking a shot in a multi-way pod. It's kind of a hit or miss board. Maybe I should check right here. You're more or less forced to act here. You're more or less forced into a call or a jam, whatever you would choose. I, I like a jam a little bit more when I find someone to be a little too aggressive. Now, if you don't know anything about the person live, what do you think you should do here? Well, it's tough because it's a pretty... Uh, dry board except for the spades but you know we're, we're happy about the spades that's what's giving us a hand yes. so it's king six deuce it's not like there's a lot of draws available it's diff it's a very different situation if it's like, like nine eight seven of spades or something right so I don't know I mean I feel like against this opponent we really try to got we need to try to get a read on whether or not he is just trying to be give you fits, right? We talked a minute ago about you want to give your opponents a hard decision. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. We've probably got nine outs is what I'm thinking. We know queen high is no good. Yes. Right? So we do need to improve. So it's just a question of do we have fold equity if we shove or is he only going to be check raising with hands that he's willing to go with? And that's going to be player dependent. Right, and if you do believe he is check-raising with only very solid combinations there, which I guess at that point would be a very good top pair of sets and whatnot, would you like to even continue with this hand at that point? I think so, because you're probably going to be able to get paid off if he's got three of a kind, right? If he's got three kings right here, and you yeah. continue and, and you hit the spade, you've got the implied odds necessary, you know, even though he check-raised kind of big, it's not that big. We can call. Yeah. I, th I thought it was, okay, so maybe, hmm. I, I was really leaning toward, well, I wanted to talk to him here and find out how comfortable he was. How would you talk to this person in this, in this moment? I like that. I mean, never a bad idea. And like you say, 99% of the volume you do put in is online, and yet you still had the wherewithal because of your presence of mind and your you know intentional behavior at the table it occurred to you to talk to him. A lot of online players, they don't even think, oh, right, I can talk to people. Yeah. I'm allowed to speak to my human opponents, yeah, exactly. right? <laughs> so, yeah, it's a good idea because, as I mentioned, I think it's important to try to figure out what is his range for check raising. Is he always going to have a hand that he's willing to go with? Is he trying to get his stack all in? Or is he trying to you know, check raise to, quote, unquote, see where I'm at? Mm -hmm. You know, maybe he's got pocket jacks and he just wants to see if you're serious with your 2K. You know, he shouldn't be thinking that way, by the way, because there's another player in the pot. This is what we used to call a protected pot, right? Craig, remember that term? It would mean like people are unlikely to be bluffing in a protected pot. Maybe somebody's already all in, or maybe there's another player yet to act. So it's, it's yeah. right. Oh, but that player folded. Oh, he already folded. Yeah, oh, yeah, my already, mistake. Yeah, all right. So I, it's already heads up point. at this point. Yeah. yeah. All right. So yeah. Okay. So forget that part. He's already gone. But yeah, it's, it's a question. Would you have bet 2K? with two opponents if you're just fooling around? Probably not, right? Just because the original ratio checks, you're not just going to bet this flop with nothing with two opponents. Right, and the thing being, I think if you can add bluffs into his range here, you 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 do have to continue. I think most people's check raising their range there is so tight that I don't even mind just an out-and-out fold on that flop because in these $600 tournaments with half of Earth playing them, you're going to have a lot of really good situations that you can get yourself in. I, I would never begrudge somebody who continues, but yeah, going back to the earlier discussion of how you can talk to someone, I think you should just say anything there. 
you you could just say, what does your shirt say? I, I can't even read that. I, li- I like your shirt. Where'd you get that shirt? You know, and then if the guy cracks up or goes, what the hell did you just say? That's actually a really honest response. And if you think about it, what do most people do when they're bluffing? They say to themselves, okay. Don't give anything off. Don't give anything away. Don't make a sound. So it's going to be really hard to just laugh in that moment. It's going to be really hard to crack up. So I can't even remember what I said to him. I think it was because we were battling. I, I think I... I, I think I said, what was it? I felt really good about the last fold, but I don't like this one. You know, just kind of letting him know, uh, like, I'm thinking about letting this one go. And then he kind was, of referring to the previous history yeah. that you guys have. And you do kind of develop relationships, like certain people become your adversaries. Or you just end up playing more pots with some of your opponents than others just by distribution, right? Yeah, so exactly. yeah, you kind of had a, a, a little thing with him. Right, and I guess what's not important is specifically what I said to him. I think it's how you say it. If you're cracking up as well, a lot of times, well, I mean, you work in comedy, how often does it happen in one of your shows, there's just one person in the crowd who's cracking up for no damn reason <laughs> and you have no idea why. And sometimes people will just hear that person cracking up and it, it it's like a fire getting sparked again. People will keep cracking up. So I was just cracking up with him going like, I felt really good about the last fold. I don't feel good about this fold. And he started cracking up too. And I thought, okay, this is the hand. This is the hand right here. This guy is really calm and this is a decent size pot already. And you felt like that indicated this guy's not bluffing. He wouldn't be this relaxed if he were bluffing. Yeah, exactly. And maybe it was a little impulsive. I just folded right then. But uh, he later said, I, he goes, I had it. He, he said it to me. Now, of course, it's a poker player. So how well can you take their word? Right. But I felt really good about it because normally if you just sit there and stare at the guy and don't take the other option, you're, you're stuck in my opinion, you could really make a justifiable case for, I think, any option there. Like, if you really believe the check-raising range is really tight because it's a prote- protected pot, as you were saying. Okay, now we can consider a fold. If you do believe you're still getting a pretty good pot odds price, and I'm, I still don't know what my stack was because I don't have that written down here. If we were a little shorter, i like it uh, the call less. So, But if you had a few more chips, i definitely like a call a little bit more. And if you really think this guy wanted to battle with you, you consider a raise. So you're stuck. So what you want to do there is get more information. And don't forget, this is an information war. This is what is so fun about this game. It's like being in an intelligence gathering operation, but it's really low stakes. So you can talk to the person there. And if the guy can't form a sentence and then earlier in the tournament he was talking to you all cavalier that tells you something now what you draw from that information is that is the art form of poker that is the science of poker but at least give yourself that opportunity in that moment to try to figure out what kind of read you should have i don't know i mean i think you've got nine outs almost certainly some cards on the turn that aren't spades can give us more equity in this pot like i'm not talking about a queen or a jack but how about a 10 or a nine or an ace that would add a straight draw to the package. I don't know. I think even if I felt my opponent's really strong, I'm still calling. I bet 2K, he said 7K. I'm probably just calling the five more, even if I think he's very strong, because a lot of these players in these $600 deep stack tournaments can't fold a set. So if I happen to get there, I'm going to get paid. But it does risk a a good amount of your stack to do so. So I can see why you folded. Yeah, and... uh... In my defense, I might have had something a little less, so I don't love the price I'm getting. And if there was one guy who could fold a set at this table, it was this player. This player was playing very well. But in general, I totally see your point. I I think I'm more along with the lines of what you're discussing in most situations. Right, but because you had respect for this particular opponent, you're like, no, I have to call 5,000 more. And then if the spade comes in and I get there, I'm still not even going, going to often get any more chips out of him. Right, and I don't know if he's... God, I just... I, I was really looking at that range going, like, I think I'm really... I don't think he's check-raising smaller flush draws. A lot of times, if he does check-raise the set, he could just fill up on the river. And if he does check-raise the nut flush draws, we're not really yeah, rooting. Then we're in for, horrible shape. Then we're in terrible shape. Yeah, we can't win this pot. Yeah, and people are getting yeah. better at that. People used to not check-raise nut flush draws, and now they're realizing, like, wait a minute, I have a lot of equity in this situation. Maybe I should raise here a little bit more. So that's something you do. Why do you think it used to be that way? Because I noticed that, too. People would 
check raise a flush draw like on a paired board or if they didn't have the nut flush draw but they played much slower with the nut flush draw in particular why why do you think that was and why do you think it changed I don't know I think that was one of those plays that went around that people said oh I like that Maybe there's a little bit more deception, but I, I think just with the solvers coming in, it's showing a lot of things that people thought about poker for 10 or 20 years <laughs> actually don't really hold water. Right? The computers are teaching us everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a lot of situations, it turns out, when you have a ton of equity, you should try to get more money in the pot. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> so this is amazing. What a great conversation. Craig, uh, have you ever interviewed anyone that's more interesting than Alex Fitzgerald? Everyone. (laughs) Like I said, Alex was always my go-to because he's so articulate, and I've always enjoyed working with him. This is the first time I've met Alex. You know, we've talked on the phone. Oh, so you guys have just been virtual homies. And you and I, too. Like, we've been friends for years, but we actually finally met during this trip. So Vegas brought us all together. Exactly. And he's also into fitness. We talk about that on the phone. We don't talk about poker a lot when we happen to talk on the phone. No. But he's always been, like, a go-to if I needed someone. We mostly discuss pinball. We like pinball. Yeah, that's our our go-to topic. It's all pinball. And for the record, I won enough of those games tonight. I did not totally lose out. (laughs) I was a big big loser, (laughs) <laughs> no, and Alex is focused, man. It's like he's unstoppable at the poker table or at the pinball hall of fame. Yeah, I got on that one run on that one pinball machine. That was fun. <laughs> the, old, the old guy scared me, so I wasn't very good at it. Yeah, he told Craig, hey, you better watch your language around the children, buddy. I know. It felt like, uh, felt like being in a bowling alley again. That's yeah. something that would happen in an old bowling alley. It does. Alley, you know? The place has old school bowling alley vibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so I highly recommend it. And they're obviously not a sponsor of this podcast, but if anybody comes to Vegas, I do recommend the uh, Pinball Hall of Fame. It actually really calmed me down. And uh, as you said before, Alex, it it helped me focus on just pinball and kind of clearing your mind in that way. It's it's really fun. It was great. So that's a good like a tip for anyone that struggles with tilt if you're on tilt go play pinball which is funny to me because the word tilt comes from pinball and we use it to poker now i'm taking it all the way back to to the pinball machine so yeah this was really fun i want to thank you guys for uh coming on craig tell us uh what's going on with you are you still writing for card player now still for card player do two uh articles an issue sometimes one depends and talk to the best players in the world that's a fun part of the game it's a game i've loved since i was a kid so i get the opportunity to talk to the very best players in the world and pick their brain you know yeah i mean just did a full feature with matt berkey and matt's one of the best in the world one of the best teachers also did something with garrett adelstein recently and i got to interview a player that's disappeared for a while one of the best players in the world i think was antonio esfandari and he lives in L.A., so I was able to track him down and say, where have you been, man? So he gave a really fun interview. So Poker Org is giving the opportunity to do these different things. Wow, that's quite a list. I mean, that's really a who's who in poker at this yes. point. Yeah, that's incredible. So PokerHeadRush.com yes. and at PokerHeadRush on all social media formats, right? Instagram, Twitter, everything. So, Alex, what's happening with your website right now? What, what, what do you want people to know about PokerHeadRush.com? It is the place to get yourself some free training. If you want to learn how to triple barrel everybody, if you want to learn how to three bet everybody, and if you want to learn how to play Ace King, just sign up for the mailing list. You get all these training products just for free. And you get to learn about that all for free if you go to PokerHeadRush.com and sign up. Well, I recommend you do it. I mean, this guy's obviously uh, one of the great minds in the poker world, and uh, you can all learn from him. He's got three books out. He helped write two other books. He's got free content every day on PokerHeadRush.com. So for Craig Tapscott and for my dear friend Alex, the assassinato Fitzgerald, and for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, and especially our very generous sponsor, America's Card Room, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart.
Love nobody. Can't read my, can't read my. 